Holy podcast, Batman, we are back. The best trip ever has returned after a little hiatus, and uh, we took a fun little jaunt down to Southern California. Yeah, we were in search of sun and a little bit of fun and did a, what I'm affectionately calling a tacky weekend to Southern California. So we went down to Hollywood and we went to the Hollywood Museum because right now for a limited time, they've got a limited run of an exhibit celebrating Batman 1966, the Batman TV show with Adam West and Burt Ward and Lee Merriweather and so many others that we'll talk about. But it's a fabulous exhibit. And also, I thought the the museum itself was was outstanding. What a wonderful surprise. I thought the most interesting part, just to get started, was that it's the original Max Factor warehouse and factory, the cosmetic company, and it's now been turned into a wonderful museum. You know, you can say what you want about Hollywood as a tourist with the Walk of Fame and all the wax museums and uh, different things that they do to uh, entertain tourists, but I'll tell you what, the Hollywood Museum, I think, would stand out anywhere in the country. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of fun and kind of, as you mentioned, some tacky tourist things to do, but I think that the Hollywood Museum is is a gem. I loved it. I can't believe we'd never heard of this museum before. We're not big museum culture or museum goers, but we both love anything, movies and TVs and pop culture. And this one, I feel is like a secret that we didn't know about and I wish I would have known about earlier. So what got us to go down, as I mentioned, was the uh, Batman TV show exhibit. As a young kid, it was in reruns, but I loved it like so many young kids of uh, different generations, whether you loved Batman or Robin or Batgirl. Uh, you know, it was such a fun show. The colors and the camp and same bat time, same bat channel. And we'll get to that part of the exhibit. I mean, that's really what uh, enticed us to go down. But I loved all of it. I thought it was in what a what a what a fantastic love letter to so many different eras from the golden age of Hollywood, the beginning all the way up to to modern times. They do a fantastic job there. The first thing that caught my attention when we came in on the main floor was one of my very favorite things, the ruby slippers from The Wizard of Oz. I had seen one of the pairs when we were at the Smithsonian a few years ago, and I didn't realize there were a couple of pairs that were still floating out there in existence, and I was so excited to get to see them again. So as you mentioned, it's in the Max Factor building, and it was actually... The factory where they built, or where they built, where they uh, made the cosmetics. They had an actual floor. You can see pictures of how they produced the cosmetics there a long time ago. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting because you've heard the name, and I always just thought of him as a makeup guy, but I didn't realize there was a whole factory behind it and the whole art to it. And then you actually go through the different rooms and they explain the art and how it's done, whether you were a blonde, a redhead, a brunette, or as they call it, a brownette. And they tie it into the history of Hollywood, which makes sense because makeup is a key part of movies and all the images that so many stars and movie actors and celebrities have. They tie it in, for example, to uh, one of the most famous actors and producers in Hollywood history, Lucille Ball. Oh, yeah, that I thought was the most interesting. They had a couple of her costumes. They talked about how originally she was a blonde and a brunette, and actually she was the first redhead. They came up with that red color, and that's what adjusted kind of the filming and how you film bright colors and the red. And it even explained for the first time ever, I've never understood the concept of a green room, but they said if your makeup looks good in a room that's green, then you're good to go on film. 
And it also shows uh, various Hollywood legends' outfits and dresses and shoes, and also some of the things that uh, people had to do to look beautiful. It's a it's a fascinating trip through uh, the history of Max Factor and makeup and makeup throughout Hollywood. And that's the main floor as you enter. Uh, downstairs in the basement is the complete opposite of the gorgeousness and glamour. It's a horror. It's macabre. It's it's downright creepy down there. And you know how much I do not like haunted houses. I don't like anything horror. So for me to go down a dark corridor and come around a corner, I was not thrilled to be doing that, but I'm glad that I did. They do such a good job. One of the corridors looks like the quarters of a Dr. Hannibal Lecter, and they even have his costume there from Silence of the Lambs, and they've got some audio from Jodie Foster as she's Clarice, and it really sets the mood. And from there, they have so many different costumes and so many different set pieces. They've got original pieces from the 1930s King Kong. They've got Freddy Krueger, of course. They've got Michael Myers. They've got just so many different genre, different eras of the horror genre. I, I'm not the biggest horror fan, but you have to appreciate what they did down there. They had Chucky. They had Bride of Chucky. They had a wall of werewolves. They had everything from a 1940s werewolf up to modern-day Twilight werewolf and what Jim didn't add is the fact that that basement was originally uh, during prohibition it was a speakeasy so it's got a an amazing history in this building and this building is deceptively large because when we went down there I thought oh we're maybe going to be able to spend an hour or so there and we spent several hours inside the museum and we could have spent much more time because everything is so fascinating whether you're a movie buff or a TV nerd or you just like history you can really enjoy this museum on so many levels I love all things TV and movies so for me even on shows that were way before my time they were so interesting to read the facts and the in, and the look at the costumes and little tidbits of information about that particular production i was thrilled even downstairs in the horror area they even do some fun and have a little uh, camp uh, with the horror they do a little segment a tribute to elvira with some of her costumes they play clips from her movie and they they talk about her life uh, and uh, as being elvira and like for example she mentioned how her daughter is resentful that she could never take her out trick-or-treating because obviously Elvira's biggest night of the year is, is Halloween. Yeah, it was really great. I was surprised that I didn't run out screaming at the horror portion, and I spent much more time down there than I ever expected. So I think that that's a must-do as, you know, step one of the of the museum. Even if you're afraid, go down there. There is a couple of jump scares. They do scare you a little bit with some stuff, but it's still, it's still in good fun. So uh, you come up from the basement up to the makeup level, which we already talked about, and you go up to the next level. And again, I was so impressed with all the different exhibits you walk around the corner and there's a glass case and it's got, for example, the badge from uh, from Dragnet, you know, just the facts, ma'am. And there's so many cool things. You just you turn around and there's one surprise after another. My favorite thing in that particular case was Jeannie's bottle from I Dream of Jeannie. I could just imagine and I had never seen it in person. So that was fascinating. What a cute surprise. You're just like, oh, my goodness, there's the <laughs> bottle. It was so fun. Uh, they also had, if you ever saw something about Mary with Ben Stiller and Cameron Diaz, uh, the dog that was in a cast. They have that that prop there. It's like 
Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that part. That creeped me out a bit. But moving along, they were doing a special exhibition right now, which is a limited time where they're featuring Annette Funicello. So I would say about a quarter of that floor was a feature on Annette and her movies and her time with the Mickey Mouse Club and just many Disney pieces that I have never seen in person before and her stories. And I was just mesmerized by it. They even had pictures of her holding up Skippy peanut butter. I'd forgotten about Skippy peanut butter. They have the the famous swimsuit that she wore. They had pictures of she and uh, Frankie Avalon and various letters throughout her career. It's a really beautiful retrospective, I thought. Oh, it was such a nod to her and to any fan of anything Disney or anything of Matt Finicello, which I love that she spans through so many decades and so many generations that I just went back to that section probably two or three times and couldn't stop staring at everything. Yeah, she really is an icon of the 50s and the 60s, 70s, up into the 80s. She had an incredible career and they have her ears and they have her outfits and costumes and even some things from the original Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah, it was fantastic. And they, and like Jim was saying, that bathing suit, I couldn't believe it. You really see how tiny some of these actors and actresses are when you see their costumes in person. They had so many costumes up on this level too. One of the ones that surprised me at a show that I'd kind of forgotten about, but I loved the the Drew Carey show. They had costumes from Mimi and I was like, oh my gosh, Mimi was such a fun character. Yeah, that was really fun because she had so much detail to her costumes and unlike any other costume there at the museum. So as you walk around this floor, there's uh, tributes to Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley and uh, there's a Sean Cassidy doll. There's a The Rifleman has got a board game. There's the Beverly Hillbillies a Baywatch swimsuit. So much fun stuff. Oh, so many fun things. I got to see an autograph copy of I believe it was a coloring book from the Brady Bunch, which that's my idea of heaven. And so many of these uh, artifacts and articles have uh, the They'll have, with the curation, they have, uh, you know, history of them and stories and things to read to give you a background on what makes it special or the significance of the item that you're looking at. So there's a lot of context. So you don't necessarily have to have lived in that era to appreciate it. No, but it's been sure fun to see things. I mean, I forgot about things like the Waltons. They had a lunchbox from that. Little House in the Prairie. They had a copy of one of the scripts. The Partridge family. They had so many fun little pieces. And of course, uh, you can't have a Hollywood Museum without uh, paying tribute to the icon Marilyn Monroe. They had several uh, pictures of her. They had her Playboy spread pictures. They had several costumes and uh, some interesting facts about her, like where she lived. Yeah, she lived in more than 40 different places in Hollywood, and they even had the map with all her locations. So I guess every realtor that tries to brag now when they're selling a house, this is where Marilyn Monroe used to live. Meh, she lived a lot of places. A lot of places. So there's just so many things to see on this floor, all kinds of different eras and uh, places. But up on the uh, the fourth floor for our purposes, uh, with the reason that uh, we came, the Batman 66 exhibit, the Batman TV show exhibit. And what an amazing job they did curating this. I wasn't sure how big the exhibit was. It was much larger than I expected. And I'm one that I only know about them from most recent years from watching Batman with Jim that I didn't know how many characters there were and how many collectibles there were in the 60s. And so I just enjoyed looking at all the things. Who knew you could get vanilla banana ice cream, Batman cake? 
cartons. You know, they have they have a whole case, a huge case filled with all of the different licensed products from toys to electric toothbrushes to bat belts and coloring books and pictures. And, you know, the, the Batman 66 show was only on until 1968. It was it was very much a shooting star. And when it first came out, it was such a surprise hit. And they talk about this in one of the exhibits where, you know, there was a rush to get this licensing to take advantage of its popularity. You can see all of the, the different products of, of Batmania at the time. So if you think that, you know, licensing is, is something new, this should put it in perspective for you. Well, and some of it was international. They had collector's rings that were from 1967 New Zealand, things that you would never think of. The curators of this exhibit, and I believe there were about 20 of them they listed, they really put their heart into this. And this is a really beautiful and interesting collection. Like I wouldn't expect it. I expected to come in and see a few cautions, maybe a replica of the Batmobile, and that'd be it. There were thousands and thousands of Batman or Robin pieces. And uh, the highlight, obviously, is the costumes. And they had costumes from from all of the the villains, whether it's all three Catwomen or Mr. Freeze or the Joker or the Bookworm. So many different uh, costumes. They have Batgirl. And they even have two original costumes from the show for uh, Robin and Batman. And you can see, you know, the age marks, but they're in remarkably great shape. I loved seeing those original costumes. And I like when they had the original set pieces. They had original bat phone. They had a propeller that was from the bat copter. And that was really interesting because it was signed by all of the cast. So you got to really see that this was just not a replica. And not only did they have actual props from the TV show, they had props from the Batman movie with Adam West. They had the uh, rehydrator that they used on the UN. They also had Robin's belt and they had the bat shark repellent. Uh, they had the bomb from the movie. So just so much stuff. And, you know, that era was so colorful, whereas, you know, many of uh, the Batman movies are dark and brooding, and they should be sort of like the Dark Knight. But Adam West was the Bright Knight. And this movie is or this TV show is perfect for an exhibit because it's so bright and colorful and the designs are so unique and they still hold up today. Well, and what I really noticed when I was walking around is that it was for all ages. We saw people that had probably watched it in first run. We saw families that were there with their little children that were, you know, two years old, and they had them dressed in Batman and Robin costumes. And it was so fun that it's just one of these things that continues generation through generation. I loved it. They had a recreation of the bat poles. They had some recreation costumes. Uh, Everything you can imagine. It's amazing to me that they still have four. For example, Batgirl's walkie-talkie, and, I, and it's really sort of an, uh, a symbol of the time where Batgirl's walkie-talkie has got lace around the outside because, of course, any female crime fighter, you know, she wants it to be pretty, of course. But, of course, is there any other way? Well, I really liked when I was looking at the different signatures that I thought it was the most interesting to see Catwoman's signature, and she even had a, she'd even done a little sketch of a pussycat for Lee Merriweather. That was sweet. Yeah, they had a costume for Julie Newmar and her 
Eartha Kitt. So all three Catwomen are uh, represented, but it's my understanding that uh, Julie Newmar played a big role in helping to curate this museum. Yeah, she's actively involved with the museum itself and has some real opinions about it, which is great. So she really had some say in how things were done. And they have some videos, for example. They have a whole area on uh, walking the bat, you know, when they walked up the side of the building and various celebrities like uh, Jerry Lewis or Lurch or uh, the Green Hornet would stick their head out from the window and talk to Batman. Very famous scenes. They give the history of that and talk about each one. There's even the producer even traded out some work on his house to be a guest on Batman. There's a story about that you can read up on, but it's it's pretty fun. So that takes up most of the floor, but there are other uh, artifacts and costumes and things on that same floor. For example, uh, children of the 80s will love that Pee Wee Herman's bicycle is up there, and there's costumes from from Harry Potter. And if you're if you're a child of the 60s, there's articles and costumes from It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. So there's so many memories and parts of history. No matter what you grew up on, uh, you, you're going to love it. Yeah, I mean, there are even like People's Choice Awards for various celebrities. It was quite interesting. The one that I got the biggest kick out of, because I love to read all the different listings, is they had representation from Two and a Half Men. I watched that show from season one to the end. And there is no note of Charlie Harper ever being a character on that show. Boy, I guess you don't want to make CBS mad. Uh, yeah, they uh, they have pictures of uh, everybody on the show except uh, one, one note. But it was pretty amusing. Hollywood's a rough town. What can, what can, what can you say? Don't make Chuck Lorre mad, I guess. They have uh, also some uh, props as far as uh, devices, machines that they use to, to run film and shoot movies and things. So you can see some very old equipment. There's a costume from Valentino. There's Bob Hope. There's autographs. I should mention that uh, Joe Ackerman, who was a fan, must have been from the 30s on because he had autographs from like every cast member from the Wizard of Oz and Jane Mansfield, and he's got hundreds of autographs, and they've got that. They've got a whole room dedicated to his autographs, which is really neat. A couple of rooms, and you can tell that it's from his personal collection because they've started to fade over the years, so they've got them under glass. But it's so incredible to see all three Stooges autograph something. I mean, you just don't see these things. Ronald Reagan, just totally iconic. Jimmy Stewart. One of the other sections of the museum that we really liked was they have old pictures of Hollywood as it was in the 30s and 40s and the, the town itself and the buildings and the design and it was just so fascinating to see how it used to be before it developed. There was a taco cart that looked like a burrito. It was shaped like a burrito. So there's all kinds of fun, uh, different architecture that you can see that you know, they just don't do anymore. Like I mentioned, there's a piece of the Hollywood sign. Uh, there's also uh, Star Wars costumes. There's Die Hard. Was it Cary Grant's real car? Is that who it was? I believe it was yeah. either Cary Grant or I believe it was Cary Grant. I think it was Cary Grant. There's also Planet of the Apes makeup. Of course, that was uh, quite a feat in makeup for the time. So there's just so many reminders of things that um, 
will just blow your mind. I loved this museum much more than even I thought I would, and I was really happy with it. I'm really glad we went. The price of admission is only $15, which is a real bargain when you're looking at museums. And just so you know where exactly it's located, it's located at the intersection of Hollywood and Highland, just about one door down off of Hollywood, and located adjacent to Mel's Drive-In. So if you're looking for a landmark, that's where it's located. And we had lunch at Mel's Diner, and I thought it was fun. Oh, yeah. You've got to go for a chocolate malt. Yeah, it was, you know, a very 1950s diner experience. They have a little wider menu with uh, vegetarian options, (laughs) vegan options as well. But California. (laughs) You can still get a burger. So... If if you have a chance to go down to Hollywood, if you're going to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, there are different wax museums, there are all kinds of different tourist attractions, but I loved the Hollywood Museum. I would definitely give it a thumbs up, and I think it's one we're going to repeat and go back to because as they rotate the exhibitions, I want to see the next things they have coming. I think that uh, they have done a tremendous job. You can see that they put a lot of time and effort and love into this. And if we lived down there, we talked about it, we would get a membership for sure. Oh, for sure. Because I just really liked it. I mean, and we walked through some of the sections twice and we'd see something different every time. And each one of us would see it in a different eye. One of the things they had was the actor Roddy McDowell's powder room. I had no idea that his place was infamous for his parties two or three days a week. But I guess one of the stops you had to have when you went to his house was you had to go to his powder room. And they literally had the exact powder room. They took everything out as it was in his home. And it's in the museum. So the attention to detail is incredible. The stories that they tell are things that many times you've never heard before. So I highly recommend it. There's enough visual that I think even small kids would enjoy it. And certainly there's enough for anybody who's ever turned on a television or been to a movie. I loved it. I loved it too. Recommend. So thank you for listening to this podcast. We've got some more coming up, so please like, share, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at The Best Trip Ever, and also on Facebook at The Best Trip Ever. Or as they used to say on television, same bat time, same bat channel.